0: Share some fun facts and some that aren't so fun. Talk about food history and how food connects and defines us.
1: So if you've ever eaten, prepared, or shared food, then this podcast probably has something for you.
0: Ailey! Hey, Kim. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am also good. A little disheveled <laughs> or dis-kerfuffled? Dis- kerfuffled? Is that a word? Yeah, actually it is. Okay. Is it the
1: right word? Possibly. Okay. I, I mean, I, if you're feeling kerfuffled, then you're kerfuffled. <laughs> <laughs> if you're discombobulated, uh, dis disbarred is not the right word. Yeah. Dis, disembarked, no. Now, we're, now I'm just showing off my vocabulary words. Uh, show
0: off. Yeah. Show off. I think discombobulated is probably a better word. We're shooting this cookbook, and we have to shoot lamb shanks this week. Oh. Yeah. And... Uh, Apparently, nobody in this tiny little valley in which I am currently living in eats lamb shanks. Oh, no. Yeah. So, so we yeah. we have been on a lamb shank ad- adventure. <laughs> lamb shank hunt. But that sounds Ex- a little, <laughs> well, that sounds, 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 kind of, a little, <laughs> sounds a little ironically, like, appropriate, right? <laughs> but mm, I think we finally found some, so. Oh, good. So, yeah. Um, tragedy cool. has been averted.
1: That's good. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. And they sound delicious.
0: However, you prepare them, lamb shanks are delicious.
1: Yes. I oh, agree. good luck with good luck with it. Thank you. So, how about you? You? Uh... I'm doing really well. I'm. You know, we we're, we're into our new year now, 2021, and we have a lot to look forward to this month. All of us in the United States, it's yet another one of our historic moments in our country, which is uh, the inauguration of a new president. And I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on. It is a truth of the fact that every president of the United States is sworn into office. Most modernly, that has been in early January. So we are uh, anticipating the inauguration of a new president on January 20th, 2021. And I thought it would be fun for us to talk about inauguration traditions, especially, you know, food traditions and the meals that accompany
0: this momentous occasion. What do you think? Does that sound good? That sounds like a really great idea. I'm kind of excited to talk about the inauguration foods. You know, for me, I think that it's interesting to consider how food can represent our personalities and certainly our philosophies and i don't think that the inauguration meals are any different i actually think that they really support this philosophy yeah do tell oh i will okay. so there's <laughs> there's always been this tradition of a celebratory meal after the parade down pennsylvania avenue and the swearing in of the president but mm-hmm. it's changed pretty significantly from our first president through today george washington was our first president if you all didn't know that. If memory uh, serves. <laughs> exactly. After he finished his parade and was sworn in, the only thing that he wanted to do was to dine with Martha. And that was Aww. his his wish, was to dine in their lower Manhattan house with Martha. He didn't want any pomp and circumstance. He just wanted to be with his wife to celebrate this day.
1: Oh.
0: However, Martha didn't make it. Oh, No. No. She was busy getting Mount Vernon ready for their absence. So George ate alone. Which fits his personality of being very strong-willed. Rather than going, okay, well, maybe I'll invite some folks in and celebrate (laughs) with them. No. He said his only wish was to dine with his wife. Stoic to the end. Stoic to the end. Our second president, John Adams, also dined alone. And It's interesting because he served much of his presidency from his home in Massachusetts. He seemed to prefer the quietness over the business-like atmosphere of the Capitol. So that meal of being alone and intimate was fitting with his personality. And then along comes Madison, and his meal was real party. And it may be surprising because he was such a quiet, soft-spoken man. But if you look at who was the instigator of the party, Dolly, his wife, <laughs> oh, it makes much more sense. So Dolly used food as an opportunity. This is a quote. Hmm. She used food as an opportunity of seeing all those whom fashion, fame, beauty, wealth, or talents have rendered celebrated. Oh. He would get a little irritated with her sometimes because of these parties. But she really felt that these were very important to understand their constituency, for one, and the people that they were around. And she also hosted these Wednesday night receptions, which were a combination of George Washington's formal receptions and Mm -hmm. some of the president's wives' less formal receptions that were held on Wednesdays. I loved this um, quote, and I believe it was from... I'll have to look that up. But these uh, receptions were attended by great and little men, ugly old women, and beautiful young ones. (laughs) And then it goes on a little bit further. And he also says that Dolly Madison was a vivacious, buxom woman who always had a smile for everybody. So the fact that she brought this kind of party atmosphere to the inauguration was, again, very fitting. Didn't necessarily fit James's personality, but um, you know, but he he had a, apparently he had an appreciation for what for her. I
1: mean, this is like the model relationship, right? In that you've got a partner who is um, you know helping to support you and smooth the way. And, you know, this has been a obviously a very traditional role for wives for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. the faculty wives or military wives or political wives to kind of set the stage for things to
0: happen in a way that maybe the man or husband would not have done right so it's interesting now there are different accounts one of the accounts that I read was that Dolly Madison was the first woman that we gave the title of first lady to okay I was wondering about that the menu for this inaugural meal was actually lost to time It's likely that it represented their home state of Virginia, country hams, corn muffins. Mm. And there's even a legend that says that she finished off the meal with this silky, creamy, milky, frozen dessert. Can you guess what it was? (gasps) Is it ice cream? It was. That that is the legend, whether it's true or not.
1: We're all screaming for ice cream. (laughs) Thank you, Dolly. Thanks, Dolly delicious yes i wonder if it was vanilla i don't know maybe it was rum raisin how that would okay that's something we're gonna have to look up for another time is at what point did ice cream start to become the broad flavor spectrum that we know now
0: right yeah what
1: was what was the first was it just cream flavored might be right just ice literally literally iced Iced. cream
0: yeah Hmm. huh okay We'll, we'll look into that now on to thomas jefferson He was the first president to host an inaugural meal at the Capitol, and he invited several dozen guests. And although this menu was also lost to time, he most likely served some exotic dishes that he had grown fond of in France, where he served as America's minister to that country. And those things were probably things like French fries, waffles, macaroni and cheese, which might sound like American food, but they weren't at that time. Mm-hmm. and he was even accused of being a traitor because he eschewed the foods that were native to the americas oh yeah for the french cuisine at that i i, I have to say though, i would want to eat at that dinner i would have ha- happily accepted yeah the invite to that dinner i even would have like worn the, the
1: fancy dress and the bus with the things and the poking you and the corsets and whatever was in vogue at the time I actually can't think of what it would be off the top of my head I guess because I think the wide I don't we're suddenly turning into a fashion podcast I'm so sorry like the wide panniers that were at French court I don't know if they would have been in fashion in the U.S. I don't think they ever really were I don't Um, know if they were either and those were court dress anyway we don't really have like a court
0: and that's interesting because one of the things that When we're talking about the titles, um, Mm. it was very important. Even George Washington wanted to be addressed as George Washington, the president of the United States. He didn't want to have Mm -hmm. King Washington, President Washington. And going back to the First Lady, that it was another thing that they really had to think about because they didn't—we had just left that whole type of system. So it's—yeah— yeah,
1: very, very against it. Mm-hmm. Now, any Anything I've ever read about early American history has been really an intention for a democracy. Um, You know, lack of title, lack of pomp and circumstance. Right. And I think that actually still, even when we get fancy with Jefferson and his inauguration and serving pommes frites and whatever else was served, it's still, you're still serving a potato, which is mm. still one of the more humble right. vegetables.
0: Mm-hmm. But in the in the French, in the French style. Yes. Right. So, yeah, there were a couple of menus that weren't lost to time that really Mm -hmm. support my aforementioned philosophy about food being representative of our personalities. Mm -hmm. And they're very different, very different, which, again, kind of speaks to that that individuality of each of us. Um, Both of these menus are from the late 1800s. The first one is James Buchanan's. And James Buchanan's inaugural ball was held on March 4, 1857. And he had 400 gallons of oysters, 60 saddles of mutton, four saddles of venison, 125 beef tongues, 75 hams, 500 quarts of chicken salad, 500 quarts of jellies, a four-foot-tall cake, and $3,000 worth of wine, which is almost $90,000 in today's dollars. Oh, wow. That is incredible. Right? (laughs) So this is the interesting—so he, um, James Buchanan, is our only bachelor president— Oh, yeah. And he thought that all of these multiple inaugural balls and meals and luncheons were just outrageous and they were wastes of time and energy. So he reinstated the single inauguration ball concept. All right. But he had (laughs) to construct a 15,000 dollar building to hold the six thousand guests. <laughs> 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 are you kidding me? Right. That oh he my invited. Gosh. So oh if, my gosh. <laughs> if three thousand dollars worth of wine was ninety thousand dollars today, so times five, oh, a half a you... million dollars <laughs> to build this building. <laughs> Of course he did.
1: Right. I have to know: is that does that building still exist today? Does it still um, stand? Is it
0: still I, used? That is really a good question. It was on the Judiciary Judiciary Square in Washington. Um, okay. I don't know if if it was.
1: I just love the idea of like, well, I don't want to have all these parties, so I'm going to bring everyone together in one spot, but we don't have a place big enough for it. So yeah, we'll build one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. American government
0: (laughs) in in a nutshell. Right. Exactly. All right. The guests were set at long tables. The walls were red, white, and blue. Mm -hmm. And then after the meal was served, they danced under a white ceiling that had these glittering gold stars on it. So very, very flamboyant. Yes. Yeah. beautiful. Yeah. In stark contrast to that is Abraham Lincoln's inaugural luncheon, which was held March 4th in 1861. And the menu was mock turtle soup, corned beef and cabbage, parsley potatoes, blackberry pie, and coffee. Now, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to compare the two because one was a. Ball and one was a luncheon but it still mm-hmm. kind of supports how food is a representational of our personalities our characters our philosophies because Lincoln wasn't known for his culinary sensibilities he right. believed in the food for fuel right perspective right right um, he would often get caught up in what he was doing and forget to eat something I never do I I'm never. guilty of that. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Sorry, like... I am.
1: I am actually fully guilty of forgetting to eat. Really? Which is shocking. Yeah. It's oh. actually kind of shocking. No. Especially if you like, if you know me personally and how much like I eat with gusto, I have, I have forgotten to eat.
0: Yeah. No, that does not happen to me. Anyway, anyway.
1: Lincoln. So, I mean, he's our log cabin president, right? Absolutely. And you think of him in the stovetop, stovepipe hat. Hat. <laughs> Right, I have a stovepipe hat, not right. stovetop top no, hat. The, that's a different. Hat. Yeah, that's a completely <laughs> different, different shape. shape. Okay, he is our log cabin president with his stove top hat and the beard, and you know, you think of him as being this like rustic, tall guy, right? Mm-hmm. He was like mm-hmm. six foot seven, yes, something like that. Very tall, and and Mary Todd being somewhat of a plain gal, but apparently a very pleasant person for all accounts I've heard. That absolutely sounds like personal preference, mm-hmm. and it's not even like that austere. It's just, I mean, compared to you know Buchanan, yeah, and that's like they were immediately like,
0: yes. Uh, so Lincoln's- three years, oh, four years after Buchanan, yeah. fifty-seven and sixty-one. Well, three years, fifty-seven. So we don't even have a, four years. Yeah.
1: So there's not even like a, a no. interval of many years where a culture, a different kind of culture would have set in. It's it's truly just exactly. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So what he was very partial to, speaking mm-hmm. of austerity, was cornbread drizzled with a little honey and a mm-hmm. good strong cup of coffee. Honestly, that sounds really good. It, it does sound, good. It <laughs> does sound good. he did have a sweet su- sweet tooth oh, and yeah? there was a baker in DC that said that the president was one of his best pecan pie or pecan, whichever however you say it, pie customers. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And although he did have this lack of interest in cuisine, Lincoln did plan the menu for the luncheon that followed his inauguration. Mm -hmm. It was served midday and immediately after the luncheon, Lincoln and his family moved into the White House. So, you know, again, nothing fancy. After the luncheon, we shall move into the White House and that's where we shall be.
1: You know, it, it's interesting this philosophy about personal preferences because you see these threads of individuality across most of the inaugural lunches. So if you're if you're ready, I'd like to, talk, to actually talk to you about yeah. the formalized inaugural luncheon process. So a lot of this information that I'm about to share comes from the Joint Congressional Committee on Inaugural Ceremonies, the JCCIC, so I want to give credit where credits due. To back us up just a tiny bit. So to date we've had 58 presidential inaugurations plus nine that were considered extraordinary inaugurations. And those took place when a sitting president was unable to continue to serve Mm. because they were assassinated or they died or they were impeached. So uh, in those cases, those don't have a whole lot of pomp and circumstance associated with them. They tend to be done kind of pretty quick not necessarily out of the public eye but the idea is that they want to continue on making sure that the the country is being led and so it's less about the ceremony of it so I don't really have any evidence of any kind of uh, extraordinary inauguration luncheon. <laughs> we do have actually a fairly decent record of what's been served at these like official luncheons. And I say official luncheons because, as you've said, and, and also has come across in, in my research and my reading, when a president is inaugurated, it's a momentous occasion for the country. And historically, there's, there's almost always been one official ball. This is different from the luncheon as well. And so the menus also get a little bit scattered in the research because sometimes it's like as many as 10 official functions, not to mention actually hundreds of unofficial functions and receptions. So sometimes the menus get a little bit scattered. So that's another reason why I followed the JCCIC log, although they made a mistake on their website, which I find really funny. Anyway, the idea is that the president takes his oath of office, delivers the inaugural address, and he's escorted to Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol for the traditional inaugural luncheon. And this tradition pretty much dates back to 1897. Back then, it was the Senate Committee on Arrangements that gave the first official luncheon for President McKinley. But then it kind of had a lot of variation thereafter until 1953. And that's when the JCCIC took over planning for the, the series of events that we pretty much see today. So in that interval from the mid 19th century to the early 20th century, presidents left the Capitol after the swearing-in ceremonies and then went to b- back to the White House for a luncheon prepared by the outgoing president and first lady, which hmm. you can imagine would have been a really interesting. Yeah. What would you <laughs> what would you serve? Let's come back to that thought later yeah. cuz what would you serve your rival who has effectively replaced you and it, right. it kind of depends on which president you are as well. Because I can imagine some being very noble and others being perhaps more petty. And (laughs) so I'll answer it for myself and I want you to as well. Um, And then the idea is like after luncheon, they would watch the parade um, from in front of the White House. But this parade grew longer and longer and longer over the years. And it just, it got crazy. 1901, the president was taking his lunch at the Capitol and parade delays just continued. And in 1905, they sent the luncheon back to the White House in the hopes that the parade could start earlier. Finally, they just decided to shorten the parade rather than shorten the luncheon. And as the 20th century progressed, White House luncheons became more and more elaborate. So in 1945, again, this is back before the JCCIC took over the inaugural luncheon in 1945, President and Mrs. Roosevelt played host to over 2,000 guests in what actually was the last White House post-inaugural luncheon. In 1953, the Joint Committee began its current tradition of hosting a luncheon for the president, vice president, and their spouses, Senate leaders, joint committee members, and other invited guests. And these luncheons featured cuisine that reflected the home states of the president or the vice president, as well as the theme of the inauguration, if there was one. And the luncheon program to this day includes speeches, gift presentations from the joint committee, and toasts to the new administration. I'm gonna go from Jimmy Carter to to current day. Why I started with President Jimmy Carter was that he is the first president since 1953 to completely cancel the inaugural luncheon. He felt it was a waste of time and, and money. And so instead of that luncheon, he opted to have a bunch of smaller parties at which he served peanuts which we know of from his home state of Georgia. (laughs) Right. It's this break with tradition, and and yet it's funny, because obviously he's still honoring his home state with peanuts. His predecessor, Ronald Reagan, in 1981 at his first inauguration, had eight events. So you can see this jump from no inaugural luncheon to suddenly we're back to having multiple events. And guess that those parties ate something like 40 million jelly beans, which was the president's trademark snack. Mm Mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan's first inaugural lunch in 1981 absolutely reflects his home state of California. First course was the California Garden Salad. Second course was medallions of chicken picante with rice pilaf, fresh asparagus, with lemon vinaigrette, and then for dessert, strawberries framboise. So Mm. very West Coast, very Californian. Mm -hmm. His second inaugural lunch in 1985 reads like... If ever there was a 1980s menu, this is it. <laughs> First course was hot mousse of sole, sauteed mm. spinach with lobster, shrimp, and truffle sauce. Second course, medallions of veal with moral sauce, glazed vegetables, and wild rice with chestnuts. You can taste the 80s. Right. And then the third course was uh, cold praline souffle with raspberry sauce. Actually very divorced from California. There's, there's actually not a whole lot in there that screams California. And as I said, very much... Uh, au right menu for the time um for george herbert walker bush's first and only inaugural lunch in 1989 this is where the uh, joint committee website has an error because it duplicates bill clinton's inaugural lunch oh dear but what i found from another source was that there were 2400 attendees that dined on a chic american menu of crab pate with dill dressing and walnut pepper and bread loin of veal stuffed with wild mushroom and sage dressing, and salad topped with Vermont cheddar, and then for dessert, cranberry apple brown Betty, which mm. is a noted favorite of George and Barbara. So the era kind of continues a little bit. Bill Clinton's first inaugural lunch in 1993 started off with a first course of grilled salmon with sorrel sauce, followed by rosemary chicken with pecan rice, ginger baby carrots, and broccoli florets, and then this is the, where I get a second error of apple cranberry brown betty with creme anglaise, mm. which looks like a duplication of the dessert from 1989. So I'm not entirely sure who had the brown betty. Maybe they both did. Maybe there was some <laughs> you <get through> <laughs> there's
0: some leftovers. Some
1: leftovers. <laughs> you know, you throw it in the freezer and then you find it later. And you're like, I wonder if this is still good. Right. So this is something that actually I, I went a little deeper on because... Brown Betty is a dish I've heard of, but I actually don't know what it is. So I did look it up. It's a traditional American dessert made from fruit, usually apple, but also berries or pears, and sweetened crumbs. Mm -hmm. It's similar to a cobbler apple crisp. Sweetened crumbs are put in layers between the fruit, and then it's usually served with a lemon sauce whipped cream. So really a good, traditional, all-American kind of... I had read a critique... Actually, of Bill Clinton's inaugural lunches, the the composition of it, they sort of blasted him for them being simple. The affair wasn't very sophisticated; that it was not a very grand affair. And I have to say that the nineteen ninety seven inaugural lunch his second kind of seems to reflect that a little bit. And, and this is a departure from what is listed as his first inaugural luncheon. So the first course was shrimp, oyster, scallop pie. Again. I would imagine a fairly Southern inspired Mm -hmm. dish. Second course was beef a la mode, which when I looked it up is basically pot roast. It's basically a tougher cut of meat that's braised for a long time, very much like a pot roast. And then for the third course, it was beggar's pudding with quince ice cream. Now, quince ice cream is probably a little fancier than most folks are accustomed to. And I, I looked up beggar's pudding because, again, I didn't know what it was. And it dates to 1773 from the Universal Cook book by John Townsend. This is the original receipt. Pour some hot water over some stale bread until it is well soaked. Then press out the water, mash the bread, add some powdered ginger and nutmeg grated, a little salt, some rose water or sack, some Lisbon sugar and some currants. Mix these well together, lay it in a pan well buttered on the sides. And when it is well flattened with a spoon, Lay some pieces of butter on the top, bake it in a gentle oven, and serve it hot with grated sugar over it. You may turn it out of the pan when it is cold, and it will eat like a cheesecake. Ooh. Yeah. George W. Bush's first inaugural lunch in 2001 was lobster pie, grenadine of beef supreme, and toffee pudding with vanilla bean ice cream. His second inaugural luncheon is even fancier in 2005, and that was scalloped crab and lobster, followed by roasted Missouri quail with chestnuts and brined root vegetables, and finished with steamed lemon pudding and apple wild cherry compote.
0: It sounds
1: amazing. Honestly, it it sounds really delicious. In, In 2009, President Barack Obama at his first inaugural luncheon, and press made a big deal about this. His luncheon was modeled after the foods the former President Abraham Lincoln ate. His first course was seafood stew, followed by a brace of American birds with sour cherry chutney and molasses sweet potatoes, finished with apple cinnamon sponge cake and sweet cream glacé. And then at Mr. Obama's second inaugural luncheon, this is what was served. Steamed lobster with New England clam chowder, hickory grilled bison with red potato horseradish cake and wild huckleberry reduction, finished with Hudson apple pie with sour cream ice cream, aged cheese, and honey. And that, to me, of the modern menus, this one seems, in a way, almost the most
0: American. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say the same thing.
1: Yeah. yeah, you you feel it. Like you feel yep. the the Eastern Seaboard. Mm-hmm. You feel the plains. Yep. Um, the Hudson Valley apple pie that aged cheese and honey, wild huckleberry. I mean, the whole thing just sort of feels like just solid American food. Right. And then our most recent president, Donald Trump, in 2017 at his inaugural luncheon, they served Maine lobster and Gulf shrimp with saffron sauce and peanut crumble, followed by grilled Seven Hills Angus beef with dark chocolate and juniper jus and potato gratin, and finished with chocolate souffle with cherry vanilla ice cream. And however you feel about the man himself— that, to me, seems very much like a Donald Trump menu. There's just something about it. With the flavor profiles, a lot of it's very bold. There's a little bit of the things that are, are kind of familiar as well, like mm-hmm. the idea of chocolate souffle with cherry vanilla ice cream. That's you know kind of a tried and true. I wouldn't say old-fashioned, just real solid. So yeah, this is uh, past 40 years worth of inaugural lunches and how our president's were feted and welcomed to the presidency i did find some other things that i thought were really funny in relationship to the inauguration and to our presidents and one of them was so sharp contrast to his first inaugural luncheon was abraham lincoln's second inaugural dinner and this i believe this was served at the inaugural ball and this was held in 1865 at the u.s patent office The idea was an evening of dancing and then a midnight buffet. So they had something like 5,000 guests attending. And the plan was that they had one large table in the middle of a side room, that 300 people at a time could step up to the table. Wow! And and eat from it. It didn't go like that though. <laughs> so I think what they didn't what they didn't really anticipate was that folks were going to get really hungry after the dancing. And basically, once the doors to the buffet were opened, all hell broke loose. And here's a newspaper <laughs> account of of the evening of how this went. Are, are we game? Are you game for this? Ready? Okay. About the hour of 12, the presidential party were escorted by a private entrance to the privileged places. So, oh. to interject here, <laughs> they were shown to a special place. VIP room, right? right. They're, in the, they're in the VIP. Okay. Soon afterward, the doors were opened, and a throng of more than a thousand who had collected at that end of the hall poured into the supper room. Of course, when three persons occupied the space barely sufficient for one, a crush is the result and the crush which followed can be better imagined than depicted. But this was not the worst feature. With the indecency of conduct and want of politeness and etiquette, which characterizes many American people at table, and which is a certain accompaniment of a large grows at a public supper, many gentlemen and ladies seized upon the most ornamental and least nutritious part of the table decorations, demolished them, carried the pieces off in a handkerchief, or crushed them underfoot. Then the more substantial viands were served likewise. Large dishes of choice meats, tates, salads, and jellies were carried off viet Armis into alcoves or elsewhere. One gentleman presented a very ludicrous attitude with a large plate of smoked tongue requiring both hands to hold it, no place to sit down, and no way to eat it. He looked the very picture of despair. In less than an hour... <laughs> Can you imagine this guy holding this plate of tongue and he can't, like, what are you going to do? You can't, like, smash it into your your face. face, right? Just, just like, I can just so, I can just imagine this guy, like, he's so proud of his plate of tongue, but no way to eat it and nowhere to sit down. And, and, oh my gosh. Okay. In less than an hour, the table was a wreck. A few ornaments not destroyed were removed, and the array of empty dishes and the debris of the feast were positively frightful to behold. The doors were now wide open, and hundreds of ladies in elegant silks, satins, and velvets, and gentlemen in dainty broadcloth surged and struggled back and forth. A few obtained something to eat, others very little, and many more only succeeded in ruining their appearance. As much was wasted as was eaten. And however much may
0: have been provided, more than half the guests went supperless. Oh, that's terrible. I would imagine, like you said, so the buffet wasn't served until midnight. So these people, like you said, yeah. were tired. They probably tired. had had a few to drink without any sustenance yeah. to temper that. Yeah. It sounds like a gigantic food fight.
1: Yeah, it, it does. It does. I am imagining these men and women in the finest gowns and suits and just sort of trying to just grab anything they can. I've already had my hysterics over the guy with a plate of tongue. (laughs) But at a presidential inaugural ball, that's the thing. It's like Mm -hmm. the highest thing we have in the United States as far as like
0: pomp and circumstance and ceremony. Yeah, I wonder what Lincoln thought. I should have just done the mock turtle right. soup again. <laughs> it's like damn it, I I knew it. I knew it.
1: I knew it. <laughs> there was this other thing I found that I thought was also hysterical about Ulysses S. Grant. It's not so much about the inauguration as it is sort of like a presidential food moment from 1869, Ulysses S. Grant, who was General Grant right. once upon a time. The inauguration of General Ulysses Simpson Grant in 1869 did more than usher into the presidency an honored war hero. It launched an era of opulence, the like of which the United States had not seen before and has seldom seen since. There is an irony in the fact that U.S. Grant, the simplest of men, should have had an administration renowned for its gaudy, lavish display. The new president and his wife were catapulted from the humdrum routine of years of dreary Army service existence into a world they had never known. Mm. Man of simple taste, President Grant perhaps thought his years in the White House would be a mere continuation of the previous years. As soon as the Grants moved into the White House, the new president brought with him as cook a quartermaster from his army days.
0: Yes, makes sense.
1: Julia Grant, his wife, Mm. refrained from comment at first, but it soon became obvious that the chef considered the White House dining room simply an enlarged mess hall, (laughs) with quantity the chief ingredient to be considered. To him, turkey represented... The scene queen non of any dinner. So the ultimate, right? But he planned turkey for a formal dinner and varied the menu for a state dinner by having a bigger turkey. <laughs> it wasn't long before Julia found a replacement, an Italian steward named a Valentino Mela, Mila or Mela. And from the moment Mela entered the White House, the cuisine changed radically. Turkey fled. <laughs>
0: Be gone with you, turkey. I love that writing. That (laughs) writing is probably some
1: of the best food writing. I'm utterly enamored. Turkey (laughs) flood. In its place, Male offered a 25-course dinner, often consisting of partridge, filet of beef, and myriad other elaborate concoctions of the era. I wonder how Ulysses felt about that. What was his wife's name? Uh, Julia.
0: Julia. Maybe Julia loved that because she was tired of the austerity. Mm -hmm. But I wonder if Ulysses was like, you know, I just want the turkey back. (laughs) Just bring the turkey back. Well, what what I found interesting was listening to you talk about
1: Dolly Madison and her very clear position about having a good table, a well-appointed table, that it was the hallmark of statesmanship to do so. That, you know, having this austere (laughs) turkey-based menu was, for Julia Grant, not that. You know, that that they were somehow letting the country down by maintaining such a basic fare. So imagine you're the outgoing president of the United States, and you and your first gentleman are departing from the White House. You are returning to private life. What What
0: would you serve? It would be all about the fire. Dishes that involve fire, and I don't just mean heat, I mean real fire, from all sorts of areas. So... We could do a luau pig, a barbacoa, Mm. alder-smoked salmon. Oh, yeah. A brisket. Yep, there would be a brisket involved. Um, And it would be all long communal tables. It would definitely have to be that. Oh, yeah. That's what I would serve. How about you?
1: It would be the ultimate roast dinner. Mm. That's what it would be. Mm -hmm. It would be a roasted chicken, roasted carrots, onions, potatoes, turnips. I mean, I get, I, you know, I'd have some fun with it, a little flair. Would you do know. a roast turkey? You uh, <laughs> <I> should, <laughs> in honor of Ulysses S. Yeah, exactly. I actually traditionally don't like turkey, and I might have to rethink that position now.
0: A turkey sandwich sounds really good right now. Hmm. I'm always up for a good turkey sandwich.
1: Our country's inauguration is, as I said, taking place on the 20th of January. I have actually started asking my friends, do they have any traditions? Because this does happen every four years, whether a president is reelected or a new president is elected. I was curious as to whether folks had traditions. Do you have any tradition? Do you watch them? Um, I mean, they're kind of long. They are kind of long. I don't sit
0: still well for that long. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll make a plate of
0: smoked tongue and sit and watch.
1: (laughs) But not eat it. You can't
0: eat it. You have to just sit there. That is a perfect dish for the inauguration. (laughs) Isn't (laughs) it, though?
1: Yes. Seriously, smoked tongue. Yes, no doubt. (laughs) Yeah. If ever there was a dish to serve a politician, it would be tongue. Okay. On that happy note, I am going to go kick back with a Bloody Mary. And I mean, National Bloody Mary's Day was a few days ago, but um, it's never too late to celebrate.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. I think that I might just join you virtually. That sounds lovely. Maybe put a, a grilled cheese sandwich on top, you know, just for garnish. It It could happen. <laughs> But before we indulge ourselves with Bloody Marys and melty cheese sandwiches. See, Senora. What can our listeners expect for next week?
1: Oh, I'm really excited because we're going to go into the world of curry next time. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to say ahead of time that we're going to have a little bit of a focus on Cape Malay curry, just because that's a family favorite. There's a family origin to that. But I do want to... I think it would be wonderful for us to give a little survey of curries around the world. Curries around the world it is. For more information about today's episode, check out our website at asweeat.com. Follow us on Instagram at asweeat and join our new As We Eat community on Facebook.
0: And so you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It would make us super happy if you would share this with a friend and review it and rate it five stars, please. And one more thing.
1: We'll be publishing the, as we eat journal, a companion publication to the podcast. We'll take you behind the scenes, dig deeper into food, lore, and history, share recipes and amazing photos, and so much more. Make sure to sign up on the website for updates.
0: Oh, and one more thing. We also have a Patreon page where you can support us by becoming a patron. We've created an exclusive podcast for our patrons called Recipe Box Roulette. We think you're really going to love it.
1: You've been listening to As We Eat, a multimedia project recorded and produced by Lai Olson and Kim Baker. Obviously.